0: Amen. Thank you, Nelda. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. This is our final message in a series that I've been doing on individual spiritual disciplines that are vitally important in our accomplishing our mission as a church family. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples here and everywhere. And our plan for accomplishing that mission of making disciples to the glory of God is to involve our church members in worshiping, studying, praying, serving, and witnessing. The disciplines that are connected to those things that we've already talked about are the disciplines of church attendance and Bible study and prayer and serving. Today's sermon is on the spiritual discipline of witnessing. We'll finish up the series with this message on Witnessing. Our church covenant defines witnessing for our church members in three ways. The first way is witnessing through a life of obedience and of repentance and faith to Jesus. Sort of in line with Jesus' words in Matthew 5 that we are the salt and the light of the world. In line with the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 where he wrote that we are to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. In line with the words of Titus chapter 2 verse 10 that says that we are to be adorning the gospel, decorating the gospel with the lives that we live. In line with, the words of 1 John chapters 1 and 2, which says that we are to be walking in the light and walking in obedience, all the while confessing our sin and realizing that we need an advocate, that we must trust in that advocate, our Savior, who is Jesus. The second way that our church covenant defines witnessing is witnessing through inviting others to worship and to study and to pray and to serve with us. By this, we're talking about bringing others to Jesus. Like Andrew in John chapter 1. Jesus found him. He, in turn, went to find his brother Peter. He was always Bringing people to where Jesus was. It's the idea of inviting others to come and to see, to check it out, to come and to hear. It's bringing our spiritually sick friends and neighbors and acquaintances to Jesus. Like the four friends of the paralytic man in Matthew chapter 9 did, when they would not be denied in getting their friend to Jesus, they wouldn't even be denied by the crowds. They cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down to Jesus. They knew that their friend needed to be where Jesus was. If this is the way that we define witnessing, are we? Are we inviting others? Are you? I mean, did you think about that this week? Inviting someone else to worship with us? To study with you in a Sunday school class? To take part in the other things that we do as a church? If you didn't, if you aren't, will you? I mean, really, isn't this something that every one of us can do? Certainly every one of us can invite others to be here with us, can invite others to be where we know Jesus is going to be through His Word. The third way that our church covenant defines witnessing is witnessing through looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. Well, this third way, this third part of the definition of witnessing is going to be our focus in this morning's message. Looking for opportunities to share the gospel and doing it. That's our focus today. Have you ever heard this? Preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. It's very well known. It's very old. I think it's wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's catchy. It's popular. It sounds great. The only problem is, it's wrong. It's so, so wrong. It's not biblical at all. You can't preach the gospel without words. The gospel is a message of words. Now we can witness... Without words. We even should. That's reflected in the first part of our definition of witnessing in our church covenant. But the way that we live is just a a part of witnessing. There's more to witnessing than the way that we live. There's much more to witnessing than that. So much for in fact. That without words, you are not really witnessing. Jesus was referring to words when He used the word witnesses in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said there, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. You see, we have the Spirit as believers. The early believers were given the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit to empower us to witness. To be what Jesus commanded us to be. The word witness means one who testifies. One who gives verbal testimony on behalf of another. Witnesses then speak about what they've seen. About what they've heard. About what they know. So to be a witness for Jesus is to speak To what we have seen about Him, to what we have heard about Him, to what we know about Him. And the word for this testimony, the word for these words that we've been given to share, is the Gospel. We are to share the Gospel. That's what it means to be a witness. That's what Jesus was referring to when He said, You will be my witnesses. We are to share the gospel with the whole world. That's why in our mission statement we use the phrase here and everywhere. To those early Christians in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said that they were to do it in Jerusalem and then pass Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then past Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And you know what? They did it. Within the first 50 years of the history of the church, the gospel had been taken to what they would have considered the ends of the earth. Before AD 100, the gospel was as far east as India. India. And the gospel was as far north as Great Britain. How about that? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. And within 50 years, they had pretty much fulfilled the commission and the command of Jesus. Today, when we... Hear Acts 1 8 about carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. What do we think about? Somewhere way out there. But I'll tell you from the perspective of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we are the ends of the earth. I mean, you can't get any farther from where Jesus was talking in Acts 1 8 than where we are. We are the ends of the earth. But that doesn't mean that the task is through. We keep the command of Jesus to be His witnesses by witnessing for Him where He isn't known. Where He isn't followed. Where He isn't known or followed individually. Where He isn't known or followed regionally. Where He isn't Known or followed nationally. Where he isn't known or followed ethnically. That's the way that we fulfill the command of Jesus in Acts one eight. It's what Jesus meant when he commissioned us to make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. The passage I read earlier during my prayer time. It's what he meant in Mark 16.15 when he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation in Matthew chapter 24 do you know what Jesus said the gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world before the end comes in Matthew 419 Jesus said to Peter and Andrew follow me and I will make you fishers of men You see what He did there? Jesus made witnessing synonymous with following Him. It's the result of following Him. It's the purpose of following Him. And just as He told Peter and Andrew and James and John that they would, by His grace, become fishers of men, it remains true for us that we, in following Christ, are fishers of men. And the gospel is the bait that we use to catch the fish. So the question must be asked, what is the gospel? That's a really important question. Because there are lots and lots of answers out there. And all but one of those answers as to what the gospel is are wrong answers. Literally, the word gospel means good news. Most of us know that. Most of you know that. Even our children know that. They may know it better than we do. They've been hearing about it for about six years in Bible school. But the question remains, what is the good news? What is the message of good news that we are to share? What are the words of good news that we are to proclaim and to preach? What is the content of our testimony of good news to be? Well, Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 where he wrote, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. I want to make it clear to you what the gospel is, he said. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day. The gospel, then, is the good news that Jesus died for our sins, and that He's been raised from death. This is good news. Because of the bad news that's within it. Did you hear the bad news? Even as Paul was clarifying what the good news was. Christ died for our. What? Sins. The bad news. Is our sin. Our sins. The bad news is that we are sinners, that every one of us and everyone who ever has been or ever will be is disobedient to God. We were even before we were born. All of us were disobedient in Adam. We were in him. We would come from him he represented us when he chose therefore when he sinned we sinned when he disobeyed we disobeyed but it's worse than that it's not just in Adam that we're disobedient to God we're disobedient to God in our own nature in our total person it's not simply the guilt of Adam that's imputed to us It's the actual sin that resided in Him that now resides in us, in our total person, affecting it all. But it's even worse than that. It's not simply that we're disobedient to God in Adam or in our nature or in our person. Every single one of us has been disobedient to God in our actions, haven't we? In our own lives, over and over again, we have failed to live up to the standard that God has established, which is His own perfection and righteousness. And the bad news gets worse. It's not merely that we are sinners, but that there's a penalty for sin, and it's a great penalty. The penalty for sin is death. Why it references there in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died had something to do with the penalty for sin. We die physically as the consequence of sin. Did you know people would have never died apart from sin? We die spiritually as the result of sin. This part of our humanity that makes us unique and in the image of God that enables us to connect with the God who is spirit is dead because of sin. We're disconnected from Him. We die eternally. That is, people die eternally. Eternally separated from God in hell because of sin. Therefore, it's good news that Jesus has died for our sin. That would be a good time for a big old amen. It's good news that Jesus has died for our sins. Our there in 1 Corinthians 15 referring to the sins of believers. The sins of those who believe. The sins of those who have believed. The sins of those who will believe. It means that He has taken the punishment for our sins. It means that He has died in the place of us sinners. It means that He was a substitute for us. And that a glorious exchange took place in His substitution. He took on our sins so that we might take on His righteousness, His perfection, His holiness, His having completely fulfilled the demands of a sinless God. This means that He was a sacrifice for us, that He was an atonement, a propitiation for us, that in His death, Christ satisfied the just wrath of God against us because of our sins. He's taken it away. It's also good news for us that Jesus rose again. That He didn't stay dead. That He isn't dead. That He's alive. That He lives forever. That He conquered death. It's good news because it means that all who believe on Him will be raised too. We'll conquer death as well. We'll live again. Even if we die. Even after we die. That we will live forever. That we will have eternal life. The gospel, then, is the good news that Jesus has died for sins and been raised from the grave to provide forgiveness of sins, His righteousness, and eternal life for anyone and everyone who repents or turns from his sin and believes that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's salvation. Did you hear it? That's salvation. That's what it means to be saved. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we're to be witnessing about. This is the message, the testimony that we are to share verbally, verbally meaning with words. Here and everywhere. Wherever and to whomever Christ isn't known. Wherever and to whomever Christ isn't followed or believed on. This is why witnessing is a part of our plan for making disciples to the glory of God. Do you know why it's a part of our plan? Look at me. Because it's part of God's plan. It is the plan. It's why... It's one of the five things that we want our church members to be involved in. It's even why it's the last of those five things. Did you know that was intentional? We thought, if our mission is to glorify God by making disciples, when have we made a disciple? What is a disciple? What's a mature disciple? What's the kind of disciple that Christ commissioned us to make in the Great Commission? Well, we came to the conclusion that a disciple is a disciple-maker. The conclusion that a disciple is one who makes disciples. And we based it on the teaching of Christ Himself. For did He not basically say to Peter and Andrew, a follower of His is a fisher of men? A mature disciple is a witness with His life and with words. A mature disciple is a witness, a witness being one who continues to repent And believe on Jesus for salvation while living a life that's characterized by obedience and while sharing the gospel. This is the aim for all of us, it's the goal for every one of us, for every church member. This is our goal. Because if we're witnessing with our life and with our words, We are making disciples. That is, we are leading others to following and to keep following Jesus in repentance and faith through participating in His church by worshiping, studying, praying, serving, and witnessing. Do you see? Witnessing leads to others witnessing. Disciples are made. They make disciples. All the disciples are working together in a church to make disciples to the glory of God. And God is glorified. How about that? I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're here. That's our mission. But it won't happen apart from witnessing. Did you hear me? I know the introduction's long. It won't happen apart from witnessing. Not just our church as a whole witnessing, but our church as individuals. Our church members, you and me, witnessing. So how do we get there? How do we do it? Why should we be witnessing? Why should you be witnessing? Why should I be witnessing? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we're completely open to your consciences as well. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. I bet after you see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the road to Damascus and He strikes you down with blindness, you don't know Him in a purely human way anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Working together with Him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive God's grace in vain. For he says, I heard you in an acceptable time, and I helped you in the day of salvation. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now, or today, is the day of salvation. As quickly as I can, I'm going to make five points about witnessing from our text. Point number one, witnessing is seeking to persuade people. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people. Verse 11, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people of the truth of the gospel. It's seeking to persuade people to believe the gospel. That means then that witnessing is seeking to persuade people that Jesus has died for our sins and has been raised literally, physically, bodily from the grave. It's seeking to persuade people that Jesus is Lord and Savior and there is no other. We've been away from it now for six or seven weeks from our study through the Gospel of John, but God willing, we're going to get back to it next Sunday. Remember, though, the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, which we've gone back to again and again through these first seven chapters that we've studied. John wrote in chapter 20, verse 31, I have written about the miracles, the signs that I have So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So that you might believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And through believing, so that you would have eternal life. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people that there is forgiveness for their sins available. That there is perfect righteousness that can be credited to their spiritual account. That there is eternal life in heaven for those who repent and believe. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people to repent. To turn from their sins. From a lifestyle characterized and dominated by sin. For that matter. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people that they need to repent. That they are sinners. Because God made them. And God has made commands that are in line with His nature. And every single one of them has failed to live up to that standard. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people that God judges sinners. People need to be persuaded of that today because most people don't believe in it anymore, even if they believe in God. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people that hell is real. And there are those even within what we would call, and I don't know why we would call it this, but even within what would be called evangelical Christianity that deny the existence of hell. Paul sought to persuade people. He sought to change people's minds. He sought to convince them of the claims of the gospel. Maybe you remember his famous encounter with Agrippa, where it was said, Almost persuaded. Paul sought to persuade people here in Corinth. He sought to persuade people everywhere he went, and he went to the world, didn't he? Paul was the one who took the gospel beyond the Middle East to Europe. Paul was the one who probably took the gospel to Spain. He went in the synagogues of the towns that he visited. And with his Jewish brothers and sisters he reasoned to them from their own scripture the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah and fulfilled their scriptures. In those Gentile towns he went to the marketplace He went to the town square. He went to the gathering places. And he reasoned with the Gentiles that Jesus was the only Savior and that all men were commanded by the God who had made them all to repent and believe on Christ. Paul went to where the people were. And that's what we must do. And to a certain extent, that's what we are doing. Do you realize that? We're already going to where the people are. You are and I am. Day by day, week after week, we're going to jobs. That's where the people are. We're going to neighborhoods. That's where the people are. We're going to businesses. We're going to shop. We're going to malls. We're going to ball games. All of it's where the people are. But more than just going to where the people are, we need to go with the mission of persuading them. It's what Paul did. It's what Peter did. The day of Pentecost, he was seeking to persuade people of the claims of Christ. And after he preached his sermon... Acts 2.40 says, With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. Do you see him seeking to persuade people there? Peter then told others to seek to persuade non-believers. He told us to do that. 1 Peter 3.15 and 16. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect. Ours is a reasonable faith. We're to defend it. To always be defending and proclaiming it. And notice that He doesn't simply say that we should do it. He tells us how to do it there. How? With gentleness and respect. Ephesians 4:15 says we're to speak the truth in love. And what we're to use to seek to persuade people is the truth. Scripture, the gospel. We're not to seek to persuade people with our personality or with pressure or with an elaborate plan, Or with a bunch of pizzazz, how about that for alliteration? When I first started preaching, I thought you couldn't preach if you didn't alliterate. So I've gotten away from that bondage, but every once in a while I like to come back to some good alliteration. If we're to seek to persuade people with the truth, it means we must know it. We must learn it. We must be learning it. And the reason that we seek to persuade people is because many are unpersuaded, aren't they? Many of our friends, many of our neighbors, many of our family members, unpersuaded. They need a witness. That's what they need, a witness. Romans ten fourteen says, how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher or someone to share it with them? Romans 10, 17 says so faith comes from hearing and hearing comes through the message about Christ. Witnessing is seeking to persuade people. Fact number two, witnessing is the result of knowing the fear of the Lord. Again to verse 11 which says, therefore because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. The reason that he sought to persuade people was because of fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord is a combination of a holy terror and a healthy respect. Fearing the Lord is to be in awe of who God is. It is to reverence God. If fear of the Lord leads to witnessing, then how then do we know the fear of the Lord? Well, look back to verse 10. It says, for we must all appear before the tribunal or the judgment seat of Christ. So that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. What he's getting at there is a knowledge of judgment leads to a knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Believers, when we understand that one day we will stand before our very Savior and give an account for our life. Including our faithfulness in witnessing. Really knowing that. Will motivate us. To witness. Verse 9 he says. Therefore whether we are at home or away. We make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Why do we make it our aim to be pleasing to him? Because we know we are going to stand before the very one who has given us. His life for ours one day. And while this is talking about the judgment of believers, I would also add that our knowledge of the judgment of unbelievers should motivate us to witness. Because if we understand how that's going to go, we want to be a part of rescuing many from that fate. What then does it mean if we aren't witnessing, if you aren't seeking to persuade people? It means that we don't have a knowledge of judgment. We don't really know it, believe it. It means we aren't making it our aim to please the Lord. It means that we don't have a knowledge of the fear of the Lord, that we aren't in awe, that we don't reverence Him like we should, that we don't have a holy terror mixed with respect as we should witnessing is the result of the fear of the Lord fact number three witnessing is something the love of Christ compels us to do witnessing is something the love of Christ compels us to do verse 14 for Christ's love compels us That word compels is strong. It means the love of Christ impels us to witness. It controls us to witness. It forces us to witness. It constrains or urges or necessitates that we be witnessing. It means that the love of Christ makes us witness. It drives us to witness. So what does he mean by the love of Christ? Well, primarily he's talking about the love of Christ for us. And that's clear when you read on in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. He died for all, meaning all of us. We died with him. He died for all, meaning He died for all peoples, for all sorts of peoples. Because all are dead and all are in need of salvation. But the love of Christ here is also speaking about the love of Christ in us that compels us to witnessing. You see, if we're saved, He lives in us. And therefore, His love is in us. His love for All peoples, his love for the world, his love for the lost. That compels us. Then there's the love of Christ from us that compels us to witnessing. And I'm talking about the love that we have for him. We love him because he first loved us, and therefore we want to obey. We want then to live. For Him, His love compels us to live for Him. That's what He's getting at in verse 15 when He says, And He died for all. So that those who live, those who are saved, should no longer live for themselves. Do you get that? Our lives up until Christ have been characterized by nothing else but living for ourselves. And sadly, for many believers Our lives are still characterized by living for ourselves. But He's not died for that. He's died for much more than that. So that we would no longer live merely for ourselves, but live for Him, the One who has died and lives again for us. Living for Him means witnessing. It's what it means to be a follower or a disciple. Witnessing is something the love of Christ compels us to do. Fact number four. Witnessing is the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 18. Everything is from God. Who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us unto Himself through Christ. He's ministered to us in this way, and oh, how He's ministered to us, believers. There was something big wrong between us and God our sin. And God has removed that sin in christ and through him brought us who were estranged from him back to him that's what it means to be reconciled and in turn because god has reconciled us he has given us a ministry of reconciliation we then become reconcilers as the ministry of christ was to reconcile people to god as the body of Christ, we now have the task of reconciling other lost people unto God through Christ. And we're to do this because of what he's done for us. It's what Jesus was getting at in Mark five nineteen when he said to the demon-possessed man that he had, had healed, Go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That's what we're to do. That's why we're to do it. But it's not limited to our homes. This ministry that we've been given is to the world. Look at verse 19 that He is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to Himself. You see, there, our ministry is the world because it is the ministry of God. The world there doesn't mean that he's reconciling every single person in the world unto himself through Christ, but he's reconciling a world full of people, all peoples of the world, groups represented in being reconciled unto Christ. He doesn't count their trespasses against him. And it says he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Did you notice there... That witnessing is not only the ministry of reconciliation, it's the message of reconciliation. Now, don't miss this. Sometimes we want to separate ministry from the message, but you just can't do it. Folks, our ministry is the message. And anything we do outside of the message is to be towards the end of making that message known. He is committed to us, it says, this message, the faith, the Gospel, therefore we must guard it and preserve it because it's the way that we minister reconciliation. The only way witnessing is the ministry of reconciliation. Fact number five. Witnessing is acting as an ambassador for Christ. Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. You know what an embassy is? A lot of news about an embassy in this election cycle, isn't there? The church is God's embassy on earth. It reminds us, this world's not our home. We're just a passing through. We are God's representatives. God's diplomats. God's emissaries. God's statesmen. We are on mission for Him. And our mission or our function As ambassadors is to appeal for Him. In fact, He does appeal through us. He speaks through us. Folks, there is no other plan but to speak through His people. Speaking His Word. It says that we are certain of this. Be certain of it. When you speak on God's behalf, God is appealing through you. Our mission is to plead on Christ's behalf. And we all should be reminded that Christ pleaded with people while He was here on earth. And He's still pleading with people through us. The question is, are we pleading? You want to talk about being convicted? Oh my my goodness. How, How long has it been since you pleaded with someone? believe on Jesus and be saved. You know what our plea is? Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. You're not right with God. Be right with God through Christ. Receive this reconciliation that God offers in Christ. Be reconciled to God. Verse 21 speaks to why and how we should plea. Look at it. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's that's quite a plea. We're not selling garbage. We're not hucksters peddling a scam. We can and should plead with people because God and Christ has taken the sins of those who would believe and placed them on Christ so that in turn, on them could be placed the righteousness of Jesus. This is our mission, our function as ambassadors. This is our testimony as witnesses. Witnessing is acting as an ambassador for Christ. Let's wrap it up. I know you've been waiting to hear those words and forgive me. Wrap it up with chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, working together with Him. How about that? God's working with us. Working together with Him, we also appeal to you. That is, Paul's been telling them to appeal to the lost, but now he's appealing to the church at Corinth. And his appeal to them is, don't receive God's grace in vain. That's a phrase that you'll see several times in the New Testament. And what it means is, to receive the grace of God in vain would to be exposed to the grace of God in some way, to benefit from the, the grace of God in some way, but then you didn't persevere in the faith. That's what it means to receive the grace of God in vain. Or then it made no real difference in the way that you lived. Your, your life didn't reflect your, your testimony. Don't receive God's grace in vain. For He says, God says, and He quotes from Isaiah Here, I heard you in an acceptable time and I helped you in the day of salvation. Don't receive God's grace in vain because God has been good to you. Therefore, he says, Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And, folks, it's the day. It's the day. It's time. Now is the time to receive salvation. If you have not, I'm I'm appealing to you on behalf of God. I'm pleading on Christ's behalf with you. If you've never been born again, if God has never changed your life, if your life isn't characterized by repentance and faith to Jesus and obedience, be reconciled to God. If you will... Turn from your sin and believe on Christ. He will forgive you for all your sins and give you His righteousness to count for you and grant you eternal life. Receive this today. Oh, I want you to do it. God wants you to do it. Now is the time to persevere, church. Now is the time to continue in salvation. Now is the time to live out our great salvation. Now is the time for us to share the message of salvation. This is the day for us to be witnessing. If you're waiting for an acceptable time, don't wait any longer. Now's the time. We aren't fulfilling our mission without it. You aren't. We can't make disciples without witnessing. Therefore, we can't glorify God and we aren't. It's why I'm preaching about it. It's why our mission statement and church covenant lead to it. So having said all that, I ask us as church members, are you witnessing? Are you living a life of obedience and of repentance and faith to Jesus? Are you inviting others to church? Especially are you looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus and seizing those opportunities? Fear the Lord. Seek to persuade people. Be compelled by the love of Christ. Be a minister of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation. Act as an ambassador for Christ, appealing and pleading on His behalf for people to be reconciled to God. Do it to fulfill our mission. Do it to make disciples. Do it to glorify God. I can't state this strongly enough. We must be witnessing. Would you stand and bow your heads and close your eyes?